when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, documents obtained by Fairfax Media, the Huffington Post's media partner in Australia, have exposed energy contractor UniOil as an almost comical practitioner of corporate graft, bribing their way across the developing world on behalf of well-known Western corporations. These documents expose many companies to prosecution, but what they also reveal is the twisted nexus between corporate corruption, failed states, and global terrorism. We'll break down the story. Meanwhile, in some better news for major U.S. corporations, Georgia Governor Nathan Deal defied his party this week in vetoing a religious freedom bill that would have enshrined legal discrimination against the LGBTQ community. We have Disney and the National Football League, among others, to thank for this, proving once again that cash rules everything around us. Finally, what is it like to fall into the burning ring of fire produced by Donald Trump's legion of social media fans? Our own Christina Wilkie found out for herself firsthand and has some of the vile details to share with all of us. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Nick Bauman, Jen Bendery, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Christina Wilkie. We'll have all of that, plus a discussion of Donald Trump's bizarre thoughts on reproductive freedoms. In fact, that's what's happening first. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of So That Happened, your podcast about the way we are slowly sliding into a garbage trough here in America. My name is Jason Lincolns. I am the editor of Eat the Press. I was out sick last week, and I apologize for that, but it was left in the capable hands of the two people sitting with me right now, Mr. Zach Carter. Whew, boy, what a morning, just getting up and getting out of this tent where I live in the, the studio tent. where yep. we record this podcast. Guys... Yep. Yep, and um, guys, and <laughs> hater of college basketball, Arthur Delaney. You said it. Good evening, and he said good morning, and that, yeah. that really pisses me off. We did that to troll you. Yeah, it's <laughs> not either of those. It's whatever time it is for the listener. Now we were, I think, simply trying to accommodate all listeners, right? Yeah, so well, that's how we did it. Really sucks. I apologize for that. Temporal reality is a tricky thing to measure. So uh, a lot going on this week. We have a lot going on in this podcast today, but we're going to get started right now with some crazy shit that happened in the 2016 race, and specifically some crazy shit that happened with Donald Trump and comments about abortion. And apologies to all of our listeners. We are... Uh, going to be talking about abortion and reproductive freedoms, and we're doing it in the manner of a Republican subcommittee in that we are all white men talking about it. But we're going to try to perhaps <laughs> do credit to white men by speaking about this with the sort of uh, open-mindedness and honesty that the topic deserves. So this week, <laughs> Donald Trump, Donald Trump goes on Chris Matthews' show, Hardball. And he said nothing gendery about that. <laughs> nothing at all. 
It's Chris Matthews, man. So, and he said, and he said uh, this, which kind of uh, lit up the world when he uh, when he mentioned it. Do you believe no, in but, but you're, Do you you're, believe you're, in punishment for abortion? Yes or no? Is a principle. Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment for the woman. Yeah, there has to be some form. Ten, no, six, ten years. I don't what? know. That I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So eh, there you, should be punishment. The, the the first level of interest here is that um, Donald Trump is suggesting uh, that women should be published for uh, receiving abortions. P- punished, not necessarily Pun- published. Sorry, did I say published? <laughs> Sorry, punished for uh, for actually exercising their legal rights to a legal medical procedure. I mean, you could punish them by publishing it. <laughs> you could. Uh, is the kind Spell of thing... It letter, right? It's like the only way that you can really discuss... Uh, abortion policy that angers both ardent defenders of reproductive freedoms and those who oppose reproductive freedoms. Uh, because uh, the pro-life community... Uh, Doesn't like to follow through on the implications of exactly. <laughs> their Yeah, they were just like, shh, don't yeah, say that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and they, they, they do not tend to advocate the legal punishment or extra-legal punishment. Well, I guess they do uh, well, how, always it, count it, as it was, extra-legal punishment women, but... But it was the kind of thing that like really just put Trump in arrears with almost everyone in the world. It was genuinely shocking just because you never hear anyone say that except for truly deranged hardcore deranged pro-lifers. But yet this is this this to me illustrates one theory I've had about Trump for a long time, which is that while uh, you know people in the establishment circles and in uh, both parties and and I think throughout most of the media are, are offended by his s- sort of brash approach to things. Brash is a very nice way to put it. Um, he's often just saying bluntly what the actual implications of longstanding Republican policies are that are shared by other people in the Republican establishment. Yes. Yeah, he's not using uh, the dog whistle. Yeah. He's just barking. Right. I yeah. mean, it's the same when, when, <laughs> the stuff that he says. About uh, you know about about Muslims, the stuff that he says about Latino immigrants. I mean, this is this is basically what's go, what the rest of the party has been winking and nodding at for, yeah. for several, the several years. The subtext is text with Trump yeah. in, all, in all things. Now, of course, he's walked it back because I mean, to the extent that Donald Trump walks anything back, Donald Trump really is the kind of candidate who's like a fucking plastic bag in a parking lot. Wherever the wind is blowing him, that's where he's going. No, I was surprised that he walked it back because his normal way of handling what would be considered a gaffe is to just deny that he said it. <laughs> right. No true. matter how many different angles it's on videotape. <laughs> uh, and so why why is he like kind of being chicken and saying, oh, it was a, a misstatement? I, I was confused by that. As confused, I guess, as I was by the fact that people were upset that he'd said it, even though with pro-lifers constantly saying abortion is murder, don't you want to punish murder? Right. So the the nominal uh, the nominal uh, idea here is that if uh, is that if you oppose abortion, you want to punish abortion doctors. Um, and out of I guess politesse or political correctness, the the proper way of of enunciating your policy preference is to call women who uh, receive abortions a second victim. Of the abortion, they um, have no agency. They but, are not. They yes. are not capable of making decisions <laughs> exactly. in a democracy. <laughs> but and that and that gets to what's really the fact is like perhaps this perhaps this uh, perhaps the people who share this view don't believe women should be put in jail or stoned in the town square. But it's not like they are 
uh, it's not like they don't harbor the sentiment of punishing them. Well, let's let's also point out that you know in the last few years the the pro life movement has pushed in multiple states uh, bills that would give they're, they're called fetal personhood bills that give a fetus the full rights of an adult human being uh, at from the moment they are, they are conceived. These bills don't make allowances for how to punish the crime of murdering a fetus, that which is a person under these bill under these bills. All of the the standard things that would apply in a, in a murder case, like you know being an accessory, uh, you know if you hired a hitman, you are still you can still be tried for murder even if you don't pull the trigger. Those bills don't make concessions for women in those cases. So even though the pro life movement likes to go around saying, "Oh no no, we love women, we cherish women, we don't want to punish them, they're victims." The fact is they've been pushing legislation that would do just that. And there have been a number of instances in recent years of women actually getting prosecuted for pursuing abortion uh, because it, it runs afoul of whatever state law has tried to criminalize it to the extent they can under Roe v. Wade, you know, for it, have, uh, you know, too many, too late in the pregnancy or uh, improper methods. So it's not it's like not an unheard of thing. So it was just a little odd for people to be like kind of freaking out over the fact that Donald Trump had said this. I also think it should be pointed out that from a sort of heuristic perspective, um, fetal per- person is pretty ironic. It's it's it still treats fetuses as an abstraction. It just allows opponents of abortion to cloak themselves in the guise of a potential child to make the case that abortion is murder. It it really actually. Uh, for 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 a concept that purports to be lending agency to uh, to fetuses, it's actually stripping those fetuses of what agency they have. <laughs> so it's um so it's 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 rather consistent with everything else we're talking about. So some people are like, this, now this is gonna sink Trump. <laughs> Come on now. But they're I mean they're they're looking uh, on long term like his toxicity among women voters who are pro choice will doom him, and and here, th- this makes it all the more obvious why that is. I mean, t- to my mind, I don't think this specific I- issue on abortion hurts him. I think the fact that he is just deeply unpopular and, and not well-liked basically anywhere in the country um, is is a bigger problem. But on abortion, I mean, look, he's, in a lot of ways, he's more moderate than, than Ted Cruz. He's more moderate than Marco Rubio. These are people who oppose abortion in all cases, no exceptions for rape or incest. Um, you know, Trump Trump doesn't doesn't support that, and I don't see how a Republican Party, even at the primary stage, is going to punish him for saying I want to punish women who seek abortions. I agree that he's more moderate on abortion, even notwithstanding what he said, sounding really extreme. But I don't think that he's like at all similar to the other Republicans trying to be president because of his other uh, sort of fascist tendencies. I think that's definitely the case, and I think that what you see in in the the underlying premise of what. Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio believe really isn't about abortion. It's about their belief that women should not have rec- recreational sex at yeah. all, and that women should be punished for enjoying sex. Uh, and it's a weird society to live in when the same people who uh, believe that women are whores for enjoying sex or having sex recreationally are constantly stuffing Viagra in the mouths of men. It makes you wonder who they think these men are going to fuck once they've been enabled to do so forevermore. They love women. They cherish women. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and women are chattel. Anyway, <laughs> to them. Anyway, uh, another 
great week on the campaign trail. We didn't even get to, there's so many other things. Trump Trump said 70, 70 some odd things in that interview that were either complete lies or wrong. And this was just one of the more, well, actually, there was another interview. This was that. A oh, new, it, was just, it was a new thing. We hadn't had this thing uh, before. Yeah. This is why he's almost. It was a new kind of bullshit. This, it's, it's, this is almost why he's fact check proof, because he throws such a welter of bullshit at you that you just don't know where to come. Anyway, anyway, we have a really great show. We're going to talk about government corruption. We're going to talk about uh, religious freedom bills that have gone down. And you should stick around because it'll be a good time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Hey, everybody. I don't know if you've been paying attention to Georgia, the state, not the nation, but Georgia, the state in our country. But recently, there's been a little touch of controversy. The uh, legislature had sent Governor Nathan Deal a bill that would uh, ostensibly assist and enable, quote, religious liberty. But really what its intention was, was to bring a whole passel of discriminatory practices on the LGBTQ community. Uh, there was enormous pressure against it, and this week, Nathan Deal did something that I think maybe you'll find a little bit surprising if you forget that money, cash rules everything around us. Joining us to talk about this is our buddies Arthur Delaney Hi. and a special special guest, Jen Bendry. Hi. Welcome back, Jen Bendry. Um as is tradition, when we're talking about gay stuff, we get Jen Bendry. <laughs> um, I am the token lesbian employee. I mean, we didn't ask Jen Bendry to talk about this to be a spokeswoman for you lesbians. You guys do it every time you have me on the show. It's fine. Yeah. But Jen, just own it. But Jen, you wrote a story about this yes. this week. That uh, was the reason. You know, you know uh, about... Arthur, I was simply being arch and demonstrating this office's... Uh, <laughs> well-known camaraderie and affection for one another. So uh, with that being established, Jen, you did write a story about Nathan Deal's surprising decision in this regard. And what was that decision? Drumwell, please. So Governor Deal vetoed the bill. What? 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 And he's a Republican. What? what? And a Southern Republican at Taboo. Yes. Yes. So despite the fact that this obviously... Um, 
was handed to him by, you know, a constituency that probably was very, very favorably inclined toward sticking it to gay people, Deal uh, opted to not veto it. And it seems pretty clear that the pressure was big money. Yes. It wasn't necessarily that he felt it was the moral thing to do to not hate on gay people. Instead, it's more likely the fact that Disney vowed to pull out of the state if this bill became law. Disney's got, like, what, a call center in Georgia? There's no Disney World. They have way more than a call center. Georgia has really good tax credits for the film industry, so all these big film companies go to Georgia and hang out in Atlanta and film stuff. Hmm. Disney has a hub there, and they film huge movies there. They filmed Ant-Man there last year. They filmed some kind of Captain America movie that I don't know about. They also own Marvel, so all those Marvel movies are part of Disney. Oh, God. They're filmed there. So just last year alone, there was something like $160 million spent on one movie there. So if Disney is saying, we're going to pull out of your state if you pass this law, that's that's like hundreds of millions of dollars lost for the Georgia economy on the governor's watch. Be a big deal. <laughs> and I understand the national... be left with Nathan... Sorry. I understand the National Football League also made it clear that there would be no Super Bowl hosted in Atlanta if this law passed. There were, the NFL, yes, they said that. They strongly suggested they might pass over Atlanta for a Super Bowl site if this law, if this bill became law. And there were dozens and dozens of other businesses. It wasn't just them. Salesforce, which is a huge California-based tech company worth billions of dollars, the CEO of that company has been out front on these kinds of fights against anti-LGBT bills. He said that he, too, would pull out of the state, and that was, they have a hub in Atlanta. So once the money starts being threatened, uh, you know, there's a threat to take money out of the state in large quantities over a bill like this. You can bet that the governor is sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to kill the state's economy because of this bill. No. How would the bill have worked? Well, essentially, it was any taxpayer-funded organization where people worked who had a sincerely held religious belief that marriage should be between a man and a woman will not be punished by the government if they act on their belief. So in other words, that means if I work at a foster, a, a state-funded foster care agency yeah, and you two come in, Arthur and Jason, and you're a gay couple and yeah. you're married or not, you're just coming in together and you want to have a foster child or if I'm an adoption agency person, you want to adopt... I can tell you that I don't agree with your sexuality and your ability to get married, and I'm not going to help you adopt a kid. Right. And that's just one example. Think of all the taxpayer-funded entities there are where they can just do that now. There's, you know, drug counselors, um, foster care, like I said, adoption agencies, people like Kim Davis. Yes, Kim Davis. Who will refuse to do your tax forms, you know, file standard regulatory forms for you because they don't agree with your ability to get married to someone of the same sex. So so this would have pre- kept Kim Davis in her job sitting behind that little, you know like low wall just saying no I won't help you. Yes, and she could continue to do that and there would be under this law that did not become law, it would have allowed her to do that all the time with no punishment. The um we've seen this kind of like pressure applied to uh, these sorts of bills before. In Indiana, it was, uh, once again, corporate pressure that got the governor there to dial back his efforts to impose a similar RIFRA law on that state. Um, 
I mean, some say corporations are people, but they're clearly not saints. What is it about the corporate mindset that makes them so antithetical to uh, to LGBTQ discrimination? It's, I mean, it's surely not because they have a soul. What's the reasoning? Well, maybe they have a soul. All right, but we'll give them some credit for having a soul. But the really large corporations, they have a really diverse pool of employees. So they're going to have a lot of people there who, at least a, a segment of their employees who are LGBT, who are looking for their corporations to stand out in front and support them as their employees. And it's become more popular to do that. What kind of backlash is Nathan Deal going to get for this from the Republicans who are big fans of the idea? At this point, there, I mean, there have been some state legislators grumbling on Twitter and how disappointed they are. And some have said, we're going to keep fighting. We're going to bring up another bill. But, it, I mean, They're not they, they override can't just do that. Veto. They don't have the votes to yeah. override his veto. And at this point, it's not really, more broadly speaking, the direction of where laws are going. Be, you know, there's a wave of anti-LGBT bills happening right now. But some of them are being vetoed this week in different states because it's just not the where things are trending. Yeah, it feels kind of throwback. It is kind of throwback. And it's a, it's a response to the Supreme Court legalizing same-sex marriage last year. A well, lot of conservatives freaked out and said, whoa, we need to do something to push back on this crazy gay wave across the country. Let's, <laughs> let's turn to our state legislatures. There's, there's uh, like boilerplate language in these bills. It's not like there's someone sitting in each state like, I have an idea. I'll write this bill. There's right. people who shop around the same bill text to different state legislatures and have them put it in their bills. And then you suddenly 25 states have the same bill. So let's talk about a state uh, briefly that has passed a bill in North Carolina. They have taken similar steps to marginalize the LGBTQ community there. And I think that this law in North Carolina goes much further than anything they're attempting in Georgia. The They passed a law that was ostensibly to, uh, to um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, sort of set a groundwork for the way uh, discrimination would be regulated and prosecuted. And they specifically left... Uh, out sexual identity uh, from 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 consideration, and that in North Carolina had a bit further reach because it ostensibly made it possible for a landlord to throw people out of their homes, or for an employer to fire someone for for being gay, uh, and and that law has a little bit more stickiness than uh, than than the one in Georgia did. What's being done to fight? That law. So the two main things that stand out about the North Carolina law uh, are one, and you're right that it is particularly terrible. It goes way further than these other bills that are popping up. The first thing is that it nullifies city ordinances that protect LGBT people. That's right. That's right. So if Charlotte, which this is true, if Charlotte passed an LGBT ordinance saying, hey, people who live in Charlotte, you're protected under city ordinances, you know, against being discriminated against for being gay or LGBTQ. This law trumps all of those different town and city ordinances and said, no, those aren't in effect anymore. <laughs> so there's that. So never mind the whole, you know, state, city, local argument of government. You know, that's out the window in terms of co conservatives always arguing for local government. They just threw that out the window. The second thing in the bill, in the law, is that they now say that people who are transgender um, have to use bathrooms 
that match the gender that they had when they were born. So if you're transgender, that means you have switched genders, you present a different gender, and you're going to be forced in public places to use bathrooms that match a gender that you don't match anymore. Right. And this is the potent political, like, cheap trick where you're like, oh, people in bathrooms, it's scary. Yeah, like that's that's why this is a, has been effective a few is, times. The bathroom panic has been a thing for decades. Yeah. It's like the base issue that people like to go back to to terrify people about sex and gender and you know if you're if I you're mean, it see works. a genital that isn't my own. Oh no. You, not that you really you don't see genitals really in I know. the bathroom. No, of course not. And I have never known transgender people to prey on people in bathrooms. It's in fact that that whole line of argument is like we're finally protecting women from being assaulted in bathrooms. I was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Motherfucker could Cole walk up in the bathroom right now. Anybody can walk into a bathroom at any time. I mean, the same lawmakers probably wouldn't care. The um, the the I mean, one of the things that obviously is bad about this law is it's unconstitutional and I believe the attorney general in that state has no plans of defending. So that was the big news this week also is as soon as that North Carolina law be- took effect, the attorney general stood up and said I'm not going to enforce it, which is the one who's in charge of the whole thing. So now there's this really weird tension where they have a new law that the top attorney for the state will not roll out. All right, Jen and Arthur, thanks very much for being on, and we shall return momentarily. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. We'll get back to the program in just a second. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome all of you into my safe space here. To thank all of you for tuning into the show and helping us to create an Inside the Beltway show for Beltway Outsiders and make it a reality. We love hearing from you. Your feedback has been such a tremendously good, positive influence on us every week. Now, you can help other people find out about this show that you're helping to build. If you are an iTunes user, please look for our show. Subscribe if you haven't. And use iTunes' widgets to rate our show and to leave us a comment. It will help people like you find this show. And we can keep building what we've got going together. So head on out to iTunes, subscribe, rate, say hello to us and your fellow listeners. Thanks so much, guys. And now, here's something else that happened. And we're back. So, government corruption. It's bad. It's really bad. And in some cases, government corruption can lead to dire impacts for the rest of the world, such as failed states, such as terrorism. Most of the time when we think about government corruption, we think about bad actors in terrible places who induced and bla- or blackmail or inveigle or deceive their way into sweetheart deals of backsheesh. But what people don't know is that sometimes there are quasi-legitimate agents that don't so much succumb to corruption as they do induce corruption. And today we have a story about one such company called UniOil which you may not have heard of, but are surely now going to hear a lot more about. Joining me to talk about this is our good pal, Zachary Carter. Hey, Jason. Hi, Zach. And Huffington Post editor of some kind. I don't know your title, actually. Super editor. Super editor. Yeah, I think that's technically true. So the Huffington Post, working with our partners in Australia, have uncovered a cache of emails implicating a company named UniOil for essentially... Uh, inducing global corruption in all sorts of dangerous uh, backwaters. Nick, can you take us through just the basics of who Unoil is and what they do? 
ostensibly. Sure. So Unit Oil is this Monaco-based company. Uh, a lot of their subsidiaries are registered in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, those are both offshore. Uh, well, Monaco is not offshore, but they're tax havens. And uh, it's run by the Sani family, which is this family of wealthy millionaires and philanthropists. Uh, and uh, the uh, sort of patriarch of this family, Atta Hassani, founded this company in 1991. He's a refugee uh, from the Iranian Revolution, the Islamic Revolution. And what, what, do, what do they purport to do? Uh, it's kind of vague, but what he told us is that they connect uh, with uh, you know, international companies with local expertise, yeah, yeah, Western technology and local expertise. But, I mean, you can sort of think of them as uh, as sort of like a, a lobbying firm. They they make connections between large Western corporations and governments in some of the most, I think, corrupt and unstable regions of the world. And they're vaguely stated they are in the energy industry. Yeah, a lot of their clients are uh, energy companies or companies that uh, work in oil field services or sort of providing drills or providing people or providing all sorts of things. Uh, Making pipelines, uh, you know, the, the, the construction stuff that goes along with the oil business. Yeah. Right, well, this all sounds like stuff that typically needs to be done. I've got friends in management consultant consultancies. What's the problem here with what Unioil actually does? So uh, in these emails, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that what Unioil is actually doing is bribing uh, foreign officials people who either work for governments abroad or work for state-owned entities abroad, both of which are illegal under U.S. law. Uh, and uh, uh, that's that's sort of the problem. We're talking about things like buying people clothes, uh, <laughs> buying people furniture, just paying people thousands of dollars. Yeah, I see things like Super Bowl tickets in the mix. Yeah, I mean, but even worse, I mean, there we we did a, a piece on um, on KBR, which is a, a U.S. sort of energy conglomerate, government contractor. Kellogg, Brown, and Root. Yeah. Okay. Uh, used to be part of Halliburton, and uh, you know, one one of the people who was involved in this process uh, was 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 a a person in a, a Kazakhstani official. Um, it was just getting thousands of dollars a month deposited into a bank account. Um, you know, it just so happens that, that KBR ended up with a pretty lucrative contract and that Unioil ends up making a lot of money based on, you know, the, the, their ability to secure this contract for the U.S. company. So you, you have a chain here where everybody benefits except the people of, of Kazakhstan um, because you get inflated prices for these, uh, or what appear to be inflated prices for these contracts. Um that are secured through through the you know through bribery, not through not through the merit or the quality of the uh, of the operation. So these are so what what Unit Oil essentially does is they are essentially a uh, a clearinghouse for government bribes. I mean, it, it looks it looks that way. I mean, there there are, there are an enormous amount. Uh, there's an enormous amount of evidence, particularly in Kazakhstan and uh, and also in Iraq, where it, it just seems like a lot of people are getting paid by Unit Oil in order to get contracts for for these these Western corporations. Uh, and you know they they mean some of these companies like KBR have been in trouble for bribery before. I mean KBR settled. Uh, was, I, sorry, they didn't settle. They were convicted. Uh, they 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 pleaded guilty uh, and and had a deferred prosecution agreement where basically the Justice Department told them if you are very very good, we will not come back and punish you even more. And they agreed to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in fines. And their CEO ended up going to jail. 
just just to be clear about this, when we talk about hundreds of millions of dollars in fines, what kind of dent does that put in their basic profit bottom line? In term, uh, it, it's obviously it didn't put them out of business, but in terms of the kinds of fines that the U.S. government assesses on corporations, it's actually quite significant. Uh, there, there aren't really that many cases, uh, uh, especially with other laws, where the, the government is regularly assessing $100 million fines. So this isn't like HSBC laundering money for cartels and terrorists and getting a slap on the wrist. This is actually, when they get fined, they actually get fined a significant amount of money. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens if, you know, there's, we've presented quite a bit of evidence that, um, that they're involved in, in what looks like uh, an illegal scheme here. So um, if, if the U.S. government takes action, you know, they have a lot of options on, on the table because as a result of that deferred prosecution agreement that, that Nick just mentioned, they've, the, the company KBR has waived its rights, a lot of its rights in court to defend itself against, uh, against you know, future, future types of corruption cases. So the U.S. would have a very strong, U.S. government would have a very strong hand if it wanted to go and, and take on KBR. We'll, we'll see if they actually want to do that. It's been several years since the, uh, since the, the KBR settlement and, or D, DPA, and the Obama administration hasn't been terribly aggressive with, uh, with corporate fraud in the, the time since. Okay, so l- let's let's say we've established the fact that uh, this ongoing corruption is happening. Can we explain to our listeners how this now gets to terrorism? Really, it's not a big coincidence that the uh, countries where you know oil is operating are these uh, sort of low level of governance, uh, high corruption countries. Um, those also happen to be countries where there is often a lot of oil or other natural resources. And uh, one of the complaints that you see uh, consistently across this region, uh, uh, you know, North Africa, uh, the Middle East, Central Asia, is that people complain that their governments are corrupt. And uh, corrupt governments, there's a lot of academic or or research that shows this, uh, corrupt governments or governments that are perceived to be corrupt are weak governments. They're, uh, they're vulnerable to insurgencies, they're vulnerable to terrorism, they're vulnerable to unrest. And uh, we've seen that play out across, uh, uh, certainly across the Arab world in the, in the past few years. Terrorists actually are happy to use government corruption as a recruiting tool, correct? I mean, they're, they actually will say what you're witnessing here in this corrupt government is bribery and graft and grifters. And that's what Western democracy is. It's bribery. It's graft and grifters. Uh, we offer a pure and more accountable form of governance. I mean, this is this. these are claims that I, I believe in the piece we, we talk about how the Taliban has literally positioned themselves as the better actor citing this sort of corruption. Totally. And uh, you see this with ISIS, too. Uh, ISIS actually pretty regularly uh, executes uh, members who it believes are uh, participating in corruption or taking bribes. That doesn't mean, you know, to be clear, that doesn't mean that the Taliban or ISIS or any of these groups are actually pure or actually incorruptible. No, of yeah, we'll, we'll it not. just means that they take advantage of the perceived corruption of, of their opponents. And they're very concerned because they know this is such a powerful issue for uh, winning public support in these countries. They're very concerned with appearing to be incorruptible. There is uh, obviously a a law, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, that is supposed to guard against this kind of thing. What kind of exposure do the companies that have been exposed in these emails face in terms of prosecution? It depends on how how aggressive uh, U.S. prosecutors want to be. I I mean, uh, 
it, it's pretty clear the, the FCPA doesn't just bar you from you know taking a bag of cash, handing it to a guy at the Iraqi government, and saying, "Give me a contract." You, it, it actually you know you can't work through middlemen, and it it doesn't just bar you from from actually paying bribes. It it bars you from working with people who pay bribes if you should have known that these people were engaged in the bribery business. Well, where, where, where do you get to the point where you should have known about it? Obviously, some of these practices are quite opaque. Is is there is there a responsibility that uh, corporations and contractors face to do some sort of due diligence? And what's the level of due diligence they should do? I mean, a lot of that will depend on prosecutors' discretion. But you can see in a lot of these emails, some somebody from, say, Halliburton or KBR will say, you know, we really need to make sure that this this payment doesn't go to a bank account in a third-party country. So, you know, to some random tax haven somewhere. We actually need to make this payment in the country where this contract has been is, has been executed because otherwise we will run afoul of the law. And it's not clear if this is the level of, you know, it's not obvious that this is the level of due diligence that a prosecutor is going to say is acceptable for, for a company of this size with, with this type of contract. But they are clearly trying to at least check a few boxes to say, look, we, we, we took these steps to make sure that we weren't running afoul of the law. Look, so I, I spoke to a FCP expert named Richard Bistrong, and he's an expert because uh, he was actually uh, involved in an FCPA violation, and he uh, turned state's evidence, cooperated, served 14 months in federal prison. Now he advises companies on how to avoid this. And what he said is that uh, there, uh, there are all sorts of red flags here. Uh, the fact that Unoil is based in Monaco in the first place, the fact that it's registered in the British Virgin Islands, and uh, even the fact that this is the oil and energy industry uh, requires a really high level of due diligence because uh, uh, a lot of the statistics that the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has collected on corruption suggests that this is among the most, if not the most, corrupt industry uh, with regards to bribery. The um, Give us... We, I want to hear, is there, is there a favorite example... Uh, in what you've uncovered uh, to, to sort of elucidate the kind of nonsense that's been going on with Una Oil? Like, is there one example that rings out as more, like, I don't know, shocking or or uh, or obviously ridiculous than all the others? So I'd say a couple things. Uh, the first is that even Una Oil does not always put into emails the things that it should not put into emails. Uh, in one particular case, one of Unoil's clients actually writes in an email, essentially, what sort of bakshish, which is a common slang term for uh, bribes, what sort of bakshish will we need to get this deal done? Uh, which is, which when I read it to FCPA experts, they were like, oh God, I can't believe that guy wrote that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think one of them actually said, woo boy. Um, and someone said, that's the stupidest thing I'd have ever heard. Um, but in, in that case, one of the Asanis actually wrote back and said, I have, n I have no idea what you're talking about about this. So they were pretty careful in emails. Still, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I think one of my favorite examples is uh, Unoil is paying this guy in, in Kazakhstan who's uh, working in, uh, as a consultant for the uh, Kazakh state uh, oil company. And he's also working for Uno Oil at the same time. And uh, they end up buying furniture for his apartment, like really fancy designer furniture, uh, and talking about that in emails. I thought that was just a, a, a great instance of 
how it's it's not always cash that these people want or are interested in. It's not the only way to influence them. And, and there's, you know, it's harder to, to demonstrate a paper trail in the banking system with that sort of thing, right? Because there's no payment that shows up in, you know, say the books of HSBC. There's just, you know, some new furniture that gets delivered to somebody's, you know, flat right. in London. Um, has this story, uh, this story uh, is now, I, I think it's, it's, been, it's been published this week. Any uh, response from the sorts of stakeholders that might go after Unit Oil thus far? Uh, I think we'll have some more on that uh, very soon. Uh, we're hoping to break some more news as the as the week goes on. Uh, and uh, I, we do know that uh, Rolls-Royce, which is one of the companies that's implicated in this and actually sent a letter to Unoil, I believe, in 2013, uh, complaining about alleged corruption. Uh, Rolls-Royce, when we talked to them, they said, uh, and this is something that was already publicly known, but they, they said again that they are being investigated for corruption or they're cooperating with a, a corruption investigation. I apologize. Uh, and uh, they, uh, so there's an invest, there's definitely an ongoing investigation there. All right. Well, the uh, article that everyone should read is on the Huffington Post. The headline is, there's a huge new corporate corruption scandal. Here's why everyone should care. Uh, our partners at Fairfax Media in Australia, uh, you can find their work uh, uh, under the headline, The Company That Bribed the World. It's a really fascinating read, and it's a despairing read, and it is a, it is a story that should concern and alarm the sort of people who are tasked with protecting the world from corruption and from terrorism. And stay with us on this, because earlier this week, we also published a story specific to KBR's activities in Kazakhstan. We're going to have a lot of other stories coming out about individual countries, individual companies that will all be very interesting. Yeah, right. lots more to come. All right, Nick and Zach, thank you very much. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So if you've been following the Donald Trump campaign with any kind of regularity, you might have caught the news this week that his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, uh, who was accused by a Breitbart reporter named Michelle Fields for uh, grabbing her at a campaign event and assaulting her, uh, was uh, issued an arrest uh, Arrested. Yes. And and it was arrested. And it's an interesting sort of situation because it's kind of these two trails of of consistent thought that's been it's been this is what the Trump campaign has consist, consistently produced. One, a sort of overarching veneer of menace and violence, and two, a complete unwillingness to acknowledge when true things occur because there were eyewitness accounts and video accounts depicting this assault which were strenuously denied up until he was arrested today. Well, uh, those of us here at Huffington Post uh, know about these tendencies all too well. Uh, And joining us today to talk about this is our pal Christina Wilkie. Hi. And our pal Arthur Delaney. Hi. And so this is obviously not necessarily the Corey Lewandowski story, but it's an interesting story. And if we could actually, let's, if if you don't mind, let's take a minute to talk about Corey Lewandowski. 
Okay, sure. Okay, Sakura okay. Lewandowski. Let's okay, ha- let's... so what was released today, which was really startling, was not only a video that shows precisely what he was doing, but it was a video that came from Trump, that came from inside Trump's club. And it was released to police, but Trump and his staff almost certainly reviewed it before they issued all these denials, before they attacked the, the woman, Michelle Fields, who... You know, who, who you can clearly see. She had bruises on her arm. You can watch Lewandowski grab her and pull her down. So, so the, yeah. the video that came out on Tuesday was the first one that was really definitive, even though others sort of suggested he was near her when she was uh, pulled aside. Right. right. But this one was like an aerial view. It was just an undeniable, and you could see the contact. And Lewandowski had called Michelle Fields delusional before on Twitter. She um, used her Trump, being an attention seeker. Trump himself. She um, he brought up an allegation or a, a claim that she'd made about another politician a couple of years ago. She's a beautiful young woman. Politicians are politicians. It was an absolutely classic example of victim blaming. And then this afternoon, even in the face of the video, Trump again denied Lewandowski had done anything denied that what we all were looking at was what we were all looking at. Right. And even said that he would continue with the campaign even if convicted. Right. Which would be an interesting an interesting challenge, I and think, he for hired, a campaign manager. Right. And he hired Corey, a very Trumpian lawyer. Yes. Um, a man, lovely guy named Kendall Coffey. Former prosecutor. Former, yep, former U.S. attorney who was forced to resign in the mid-90s um, after biting a stripper. Yes, which is, yes, I, I called that a... Uh, a uh, brokered convention inside a champagne room. Yeah. So, Christina, how did you wind up in this in the death orbit of the Trump campaign last week? It wasn't through Corey Lewandowski. Thank goodness. Yeah, that's all but, I'm thankful for. Um, that. What I did was read an interview and watched a video um, in which two Trump surrogates, two women who go by nicknames Diamond and Silk, two women in North Carolina. They appear on, they, they love Trump. They're two African-American women. They appear on stage with him. They go on TV and talk about him. They sat down for an interview with a neo-Nazi. This lovely so guy. That, so, you, so you wrote about that because that's like t- interesting and different. Yes. and, it, and It's pretty interesting and different for African-Americans ex- to be like, yo, let's pal around with some neo-Nazis. Right? I'm just ex- trying to say, we're, you know, we were, you wrote a news item. That this yes, interesting we're just is, finding common cause with a group that would, you know, that believes in white genocide somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, believe in white genocide. Um, and well, and it's also part of a consistent theme in the Trump campaign. I mean, we've seen this resurgence of the white nationalist movement. I mean, these guys who were relegated to the fringes are now getting a, getting a lot of attention. They're getting interviews with Trump's son. So this was one of these examples. And I reached out to these women and said, "Did you realize that this guy?" you know, is a Holocaust denier who is really worried about white genocide and believes the only Americans are white. And this might have been breaking news to them. You may have been performing service journalism. Well, I thought I was. Diamond and Silk. I said, would you like to let me know what you thought? Were you? Because on the interview, he wasn't saying that stuff. What they were doing on the interview is talking about immigration and immigrants. And so he wasn't he was he wasn't telling them his Holocaust denial stories and his racism stories, but he they were all beating up on immigrants and you know and, and people who are here without documents. And so so, so you emailed I did. Diamond and Silk at and their business email, and I said, you know, he's have you seen any of his writings? Um, you know, he he's he cites Hitler all the time and Goebbels and 
know, what would you like to say? I'm working on a piece. So did Diamond and Silk respond to you? They did well, in a manner of speaking, they did. Um, and the story just says, you know, black Donald Trump supporters got cozy with white nationalists. Right. It a headline how- I didn't write, but all of this, I mean, the story is just accurate as a pin. It just yeah. describes them going on the show and his past statements and what they talked about on the show. And how it's part of a bigger a bigger trend of white nationalists taking a bigger role in politics than they ever have in our any of our experience. Yes. So, story A 100% published, true story. Normal. I go home. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and, um, and people are tweeting and Facebook messaging me with a video that our friends Diamond and Silk have made. We didn't know we have to now scrutinize all of you reporters yeah. because all of you may have a past. Uh-huh. And you were the one that sent us questions that you didn't allow us the opportunity to answer. Well, should we say, Christina, maybe we don't know if you're part of the KKK. We don't know, we don't know if you're part of the skinheads. No, we, we don't know if you are a prostitute. We don't, we don't know if you are a drug addict. Okay, so, so <laughs> let me bleach my ears. I was being called a prostitute, a drug addict, a, I mean, a bitch, a whore. And then all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't just Diamond and Silk. I think their video has been viewed about 40,000 times, but it was all the people they roused. And so it began on my Twitter page. Well, now, did people go, like, on your Facebook page and try to see personal photos? Oh, yeah. Photos? And, and they do a big background hunt, and I'd accidentally left one photo of my six-month-old baby on there and so you had uh, uh, set well, your privacy well, settings you so strangers wait, couldn't you, see this you didn't accidentally leave a picture of your baby on Facebook that is a thing you do on Facebook sure I, had a baby. I accidentally made it public oh you accidentally made it so public so you have okay. a Facebook account that uh, is just your personal account right but someone somehow people were able to find I personal photos I put some photos. public things up there because I put my stories I connect with my sisters who like who t- comment about my work and my friends. I like my friends and so my family a, to a, know my work. So it's like you're a hybrid page for yourself and for work. Yes. And and uh, a, a personal photo was publicly viewable. Yes. And a couple of women in who knows where, Florida, Baltimore, decided that my baby wasn't wearing the right clothes. So they launched an all-out thousands of words. Um, I mean, th- like... A three-page story about how my husband was out cheating, my baby was sitting in a dirty diaper, uh, social services need to be called. What was this, this? Where was this story? In your inbox? No, it was it was on Facebook, yeah, and it right was over it. and over and over. It was publicly just posting and posting, and it was it was a new chapter, let's say, every time. Now, this is not Diamond and Silk at this point. This is just random mob. They people. One of the scariest things that I've seen so far this year is that um, my baby happens to have blue eyes. I don't. And uh, a couple of white supremacists have written me to say that they're very sorry my Aryan baby has to grow up with me. Which is just a new because kind of, you know, a new kind of insult. You're white. I'm, I am white. But uh, but they see me they see me, and they see other reporters as the devil. They Mud see bloods. journalism uh, as, like, as so, the... Lowest did profession. you did you uh, do anything, or did this just kind of eventually subside this wave of uh, vitriol? I didn't do anything. I was really torn. I still don't know what the answer is. So I was trying to think back to other times I'd seen in political life as a reporter when the debate became ugly and people were mean. And I remembered in 2009 covering the healthcare debate on Capitol Hill, yeah. and there were people who spat at lawmakers. There were people who you know, who held signs saying, um, 
the zoo has an African lion and the White House has a lion African. And so I was I thought back and I was trying to think what is new about this cycle? What's new about this? And Donald Trump has basically made made it open season by by calling out reporters one by one. Um, reporters weren't part of the story in 2009. You know, we So this is a pattern that other journalists, particularly conservative ones and women. And women. Yeah, this really falls it's, a, it's a lady like, thing. This, this yeah. happened yeah, to Megyn Kelly first. Right. But we've seen it happen. They they told Michelle Fields she was crazy and what follows when the Trump campaign or its surrogates point the the cannon yeah. is a fusillade from random people who are just like Twitter vigilantes. Right. So, and and who are out to um out they they wrote to me that they wanted my family to see this. They wanted my parents to see what a whore I am. So did you get doxxed? I did. And this is a new <laughs> kind of assault, I feel like, in in this cycle or perhaps in the last cycle as well. But the idea that a journalist should be that that these folks who are so angry about other stuff, you know, they're people who feel like the economy's left them behind. There are people who well, feel explain what do- what happened and and thereby what doxing is. What happened is that in a number of these different social fora, um, the the people who are really angry at me would put up all of my addresses, would put up my address at work, they put up my Twitter address. They said, "Let's get her. Let's get this piece of shit." Um, so they put like our office. Yes, and they had it yeah. correct. Yes. Um, what they, about your home? They didn't find my home. Um, one of them found an old apartment building I used to live at. And put that up. I think that's disconcerting enough. It was. Um, and But so they, they're not only organized, they have a lot of time on their hands, and they, they want to make reporters a story. I mean, I, you guys are reporters. It doesn't feel right when you're the story. It, it doesn't seem so much that they were trying to make you the story. They were just trying to get you to stop writing stories. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was, you know, pu- like a trying to get you to stop your public participation in journalism. Right. You know, I I don't want to get totally over our skis and suggest that like, oh, this is, you know, perhaps a universal thing, but let's let's ask the question, uh how do we imagine what a what a, a nominated Trump or God help us all, a Trump president might be uh in, in his interactions with the public, critics, with journalists? Uh, th- this let's make clear that this fits a pattern. It's happened to at least half a dozen other journalists and commentators who've criticized Trump, and you weren't even criticizing him. No, and I wasn't. I mean, I got the you know ten percent of what somebody like Fox News's Megyn Kelly got. Arthur, you and I will inevitably get our turn. In fact, we are probably earning that right now. Jason, you're overdue. Five Arthur, right. you're def- we're definitely going to get. Yeah. Some. All right. So, uh, welcome to our weird fucked up world uh thanks christina thanks guys. for sharing this you know bizarre story with us it feels good to talk about it yeah I good know. <laughs> i know <laughs> and right. uh we will be right back so that's what happened this week this podcast was produced edited and engineered by christine canetta we are always watched over by our loving angel caitlin boguki I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we were joined by Huffington Post reporters Nick Bauman, Jen Bendry, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Christina Wilkie. So That Happened is available on iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store, and while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. We miss you already. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 